Occult Confessions is brought to you commercial-free through the generous support of our patrons. Visit occultconfessions.com and click on Donate to help keep the history of the occult on the digital airwaves. In 1924, British conspiracy theorist Nesta Helen Webster published Secret Societies and Subversive Movements, breathing new life into an idea that had been dead for over a hundred years. The idea of a conspiracy conducted by secret societies operating across the globe, calling themselves the Illuminati. Believing she was either reincarnated and had lived in revolutionary France, that her mother had spent time reading about France while she was pregnant and inspired her in vitro, or that she received supernatural input from spirits who had died during the terror, Webster became obsessed with the French Revolution. In the course of her research, she made up her mind that the revolution had been instigated by a secret cabal originating in Bavaria. Webster didn't come up with this theory herself, but adopted it from two scholars who had lived at the same time period as the Jacobin Revolt. It was first articulated in 1797 by the French Jesuit writer Abbe Augustin Baruel in Memoirs Illustrating the History of Jacobinism. The French Revolution was famously hostile to religion and threw Baruel and his fellow priests out of the country. Writing from exile in England, he argued that occult magicians, enlightenment thinkers, and Freemasons had conspired together to start and perpetuate the revolution. John Robeson, a science professor at the University of Edinburgh, picked up Barrowell's ideas and incorporated them into his own theory. Robeson argued that the Bavarian Illuminati, which lasted 12 years and disbanded two years before the French Revolution began, had actually joined with the Freemasons to enact a plot very similar to what Barrowell described. The Illuminati had not been repressed, but had gone underground and were conducting their anti-religion, anti-government plot with even greater secrecy than they had before. Both Robeson and Barrowell's ideas were widely criticized and confined to the dustbin of scholarship. That is, until Webster dug through the trash and hauled them back into the spotlight. Webster believed that the Illuminati had not only started the French Revolution, but had persisted as a secret organization operating behind the scenes in various revolutions throughout the world, all the way up to the time in which she was writing. Webster further believed that these Illuminati were driven by an anti-religious occult agenda going all the way back to the first century and supported by a vast network of Jews intent on bringing down Christendom. Proof of this conspiracy was littered throughout history, she said. At the time she was writing, the most recent evidence had come in the form of the Bolshevik Revolution in Russia, which resulted in an anti-religious official culture eerily similar to what the French instituted after their revolution. My name is Rob C. Thompson. I am the supreme hierophant of our secret order of alchemical actors and doctor of things occult. I am joined today by our grand master of the order, Olivia Literal. Hello. What's going on? Allergies are here. Well, it's but winter persists here in the uh, in the, the mid Atlantic region. Does anyone feel the allergies? I feel your allergies. I guess. I feel mucusy. Disgusting. Yeah, but, but I made it into a song. At it's least. a great way to start our. <laughs> I liked your dustpan of scholarship, poetry, <laughs> whatever you were saying. <laughs> it's it's the finest of the dustbins. 
We're also joined by Dan Rosendale, a neophyte of the order. And fellow dustbin scholar. Dustbin enthusiast. Oh, enthusiast. Yes, welcome. Welcome, Dan. So glad to have you. Uh, also allergy-free. Allergy-free. Out of the dustbin. Can you, Dan. <laughs> and Aubrey Radford, a werewolf and a, a person we know. Yes. Hi. Get closer. Oh, hi. <laughs> dust makes me sneeze. Where are you on the allergy scale right now? I'm allergic to dust. Oh, okay. So it's pertinent. I'm fine otherwise. Right. Yeah. You're not feeling anything because of the winter? What winter? Oh, it's yeah, like I guess getting it's, it's warm. It's a little springy. Now. Yeah, that's yeah, true. But it's still February. It's yeah. Valentine's Day. I feel like it's I'm allergy time. You are in flip flops. But, but also, we are surrounded by cornfields. Uh, and those are allergy dusty. time. We, the members of, of the secret, secret order of alchemical actors, actors, do solemnly commit ourselves to a full and honest telling of the history of the occult as far as we know it. Let's open up those uh, 2020 plugs there, Olivia. 2020 plugs, 2020 plugs. So many plugs. a little bit of a different thing there. Yeah, was, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what to do with it. I love it, though. I love it. a little hype for 2020. Because it's, tw- I mean, it's been 2020, but we yes. only technically start our podcasting year after Valentine's Day. So here we are in our third year Woo! on the podcast. Let's talk about some people who are helping to make this happen. Anthony S., also Cody L., and, and I want to give a special shout out to Luke K., uh, who has moved up the ranks and is now the top donor over on the Patreons. Uh, these, these folks uh, and all of our patrons, uh, which, you know, are, it's a growing number, family of friends uh, who, who we, we love and, and we need because they are helping to keep the podcast going. Uh, and, and we are investing all the money we're getting from our patrons right back into what we're doing. So some things we're looking forward to in our third year here uh, include expanding out onto the old YouTuberies uh, to try to get more of you on the tubes. No, I don't think that's right. Uh, right. So we're going to need some some new equipment for that. Uh, Equipment and time. uh, That's the stuff that uh, we're investing in in order to get more content out there to you, uh, our dear confessors. Uh, And so we're taking that patron money to make that stuff happen for you so uh please by all means consider joining the family of patrons uh over there on the patreon uh olivia you got anything else you want to plug because technically this is still the three plugs i think we can keep it that way we can always plug three things uh yeah merch good yeah the merch that got some t-shirts there you you can look Mm -hmm. into cool and then also i'm a we can plug my episode i just did even though you want to plug the thing that they've already listened to? Maybe they didn't listen to it. It could be, because this yeah. is called Maybe Illuminati, so we might be talking to people for the first time here. Hello, yeah. people who are drawn to the word Illuminati. Hello. Olivia just did an episode about uh, another thing you might be interested in. Digital. Doomsday. Cult. Yeah, so check that out. Uh, there you go. All right, let's close those plugs up. Plug, plug, plug. All right, this is the new year. Uh, we've officially started, as, as we've been mentioning, our third year here at Occult Confession. So grateful to all the folks who have kept us going. I gotta be honest, if no one was listening to this, I would have stopped. Yep. Uh, <laughs> there are podcasters out there, God bless them, who don't really care if anybody's listening. They'll just go, go ahead and do their thing. Uh, but we have had a small but steady growing audience over the last two years. And uh, so I've decided, let's go ahead and do a third year of this. 
And once I commit to a year, I'm all in. So you you confessors, you can rest assured, I will be providing you with uh, at least one more year of of episodes. Uh, So I I like to get started uh, in a series uh, by reflecting on on a brief statement of values. Let our listeners know what we're keeping, what we're changing, uh, and just, just where we're at on our priorities here for the podcast. We tool with the format every year to keep things fresh, uh, and in the spirit of uh, knowing that we've never got the formula exactly right, uh, it's always good to try new things. So we will be trying some new things this year as well, uh, keeping a lot of the you know basic stuff that you guys like, uh, but making some, some little changes that uh, hopefully you'll enjoy. Research remains our top priority, uh, number one, first value. I want to give special focus to primary sources this year. For those of you still a little rusty on what primary sources means, uh, those are firsthand accounts, either in books or pamphlets or, or people who practiced or witnessed or interviewed people directly involved in a particular occult theory or phenomena. So we want to chase down that firsthand story so that we can be doing our analysis right on the real artifact. Uh, it's common on the internet to pull together third-hand content from other people's second-hand content, uh, but that's not really real research. Uh, so so we want to be bringing you that pure, uncut, prime occult truth. Second, we've got reenactment. You guys feeling good about this so far? Pretty good. Yeah. I think we you have like some that? prime I- research lined up. Yeah? Feeling it. Feeling it. Reenactment is a hallmark of our work here, starring my lovely and talented alchemical actors. We've got our monologues. Uh, we'll also be acting out our legends and myths, as you've all come to enjoy when the mood strikes us. This year, though, I'm going to be experimenting with some new segments. Listeners often write that they have to go back and listen to episodes twice. They're not complaining, uh, but but I take that as a compliment. <laughs> that they're willing to listen to it twice. I also take it as a note of caution uh, that uh, I've got to give everybody's minds more time to process all the stuff that we're going through. So we're going to be working in some stuff uh, that, that'll help slow down the story a little bit. Sometimes we're going to keep keep it up, keep it up, keep the research hot and heavy here. Uh, but we're going to slow down the story periodically and, and take time to, to reflect on what's going on. Uh, okay. Uh, finally, Ritual which is an important part of the ritual here at Occult Confessions, is the flow of knowledge and inspiration back and forth between me and the alchemical actors gathered around me at the table here, guys. Hello again. Hey. <laughs> and, uh, and our listeners. I don't know who that was. She speaks for all of us. She speaks, yes. for, the, speaks for the crew. Uh, so, listeners, better known to us as our Order of Confessors, uh, we love to reach, to hear from you, we love to reach out to you. I know from the Instagram that we have some of the cleverest and most attractive listeners of oh, any paranormal you. podcast out there. Yeah, they're attractive people. Some of you are, yeah, I'm yeah. stalking you. Yeah, Don't right? about it. Right. And, and, and interesting folks. Uh, so, <laughs> some fan service right here. Last year, but I mean it, I mean it. Last year, I've seen some of those other podcasts, and they do not have, their fans are not nearly not there. as clever and attractive as our fans. I'm just, I just want to say that. I don't, I don't mean to start any fights with anybody like Church Secrets, but I'm putting that out there. Blackheart, Blackheart. So last year, we invited stories on occult experiences that we incorporated into what we called the Campfire Confessional episode. We're going to keep that going uh, at least a couple times this year. We're not going to do it all the time. I know it's not something we want to hear constantly, but we'll, we'll work it in a couple times this year. Uh, so if, if you're doing anything that fits the general theme of the podcast, go ahead and let us know if you have an occult story. Olivia is collecting those to share. And interaction is a big part of what makes podcasting fun and worthwhile. All right. 
That's it. That's all I have to say about our values for the year. You guys think we can live up to this? Yes. All right. Very good. Uh, now let's get after this here con- occult conspiracy, shall we? Yes. Meeting adjourned. Oh, okay. But it, no, not not entirely. No, I days. mean the meeting part. The meeting about the meeting. Evening. The meeting of the adjourned. meeting. But the next meeting uh, that is the meeting, we're doing that what? right now. What I'm saying is, it's time to discuss Nesta Helen Webster's theory, uh, which begins at Bible times. Not time for the Bible, but times in which the Bible was written. Webster starts her search for an anti-Christian black magic conspiracy cult all the way back at the birth of Jesus. Three groups rise to the surface. The Essenes... Is that how you pronounce that? Essenes? What do you think? How's it spelled? Essenes. Like A? No, E-scenes. Essenes. Okay. The Gnostics and the Manichaeans. I'll take all of those. Fantastic. You know Gnostics. You do stuff yeah, on I them. Yeah, I definitely took that one. So the Essenes were an ascetic sect of Judaism. No. Yeah. Did you say an aesthetic? Ascetic. That means oh. they, did, they didn't enjoy things. They, they, they you know, deprived themselves oh. of stuff. And they were most popular in the 2nd century BCE, best known for the composition of the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh, okay. Yeah, those guys. According to Webster, they operated a secret communal society that became the basis for future anti-Christian groups. But they could not have been anti-Christians themselves, since history was still a couple of hundred years from having any Christians for them to be against. But if there would have been Christians... They would not have been fans. Thanks, Webster. The Gnostics and the Manichaeans, on the other hand, were contemporaneous with the early Christians, and they crafted metaphysical belief systems diametrically opposed to Orthodox Christianity. What word did you just use? Manichaeans, Gnostics, or diametrically opposed? Or contemporaneous. I, I start with the C. I don't know. What contemporaneous. Do you, yeah, what does that mean? So at the same time as the Christians, the Gnostics and the Manichaeans were uh, developing anti-philosophies. Uh, hmm. Got it. Pulled up the thesaurus for that one, huh? <laughs> there you go. I'm, I, I'm bringing, I'm coming in hot and heavy. All right, well, I'm, I'm hurting, so. All right, this is our, we're down. starting the year here. We want to start it off contemporaneously. Contemporaneously. <laughs> Both, I don't think we could start it off any other way, because we're right here contemporaneously with each other. Contemporaneously. Expeditiously, sphere. Very good. I, I, okay. Both of these belief systems are wildly complex, speaking of the Gnostics and the Manichaeans, and we're, we're not, today's not the day. To explore them in any depth, Olivia, so you'll be relieved that we're not doing that. I'm going home. No, you stay, stay right there. I'm gonna, oh, okay. I'm gonna oh, skip sorry, right through sorry, this. Sorry, I'm gonna okay. skip right through this Bible times contemporaneous stuff. We don't really need to go into depth here to get Webster's point. For Webster, these uh, the Gnostics and the Manichaeans are root movements for what will become the Illuminati because of their shared belief that, and this is all we need to know about them, really, creation is at least partially the work of the devil capital devil, and that the material world is separate from God. Got me? Okay. So, the Gnostics believe that all of creation is an emanation of God, that we are all made up of God, but that creation has gotten very far away from its divine source, and so it is deeply flawed. This God, from which we emanated, was not in fact responsible for creation. Rather, a flawed demiurge, more like Satan or Lucifer, shaped creation. Olivia does a bit of this in her reptilian talk. Yep. 
And so, while the spirit is good, the material world is evil. The Manichaeans say something very similar. Inspired by the Gnostics, they believed in a dualistic world, a spiritual world of light and a material world of darkness. Humans are the product of a great battle between a powerful devil, capital devil, ruling the material world, and a powerful god, capital god, ruling the spiritual world. In their conflict, humans containing both light and darkness were formed. So we came from both devil and god in this Manichaean view. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, that fits with Gnosticism, too, kind of-ish, sort of. Yeah, similar ideas, very similar ideas. Okay, so that's what makes these groups anti-Christian. Let's, let's go into a little bit of detail about why that is. So it, just, it comes down to Jesus, really. Jesus is an incarnated God, and this poses a serious problem for the Gnostics and the Manichaeans. If the material world was evil and needed to be abandoned— Jesus as a perfect spiritual being made flesh doesn't fit into that belief system. You got me? So the Gnostics and their various offshoots are considered heretics by the Christian church. The medieval French Cathars, for example, who inherited this tradition, did not believe that Jesus was ever incarnated, but he was always an angel, even, or perhaps even especially during his time on earth, walking around with his disciples, performing miracles, and giving sermons. Whole time angel because jesus is god so jesus can't be of the evil devil material stuff according to the cathars jesus's crucifixion was an illusion since an angel can't suffer or die so for all of you heathen listeners out there who don't see what the big deal is these ideas are a stark contrast to standard Christian doctrine about God's incarnation and Jesus dying for the sins of humanity. If God never incarnates, God can't die for our sins, or for pretty much any other reason. And so here we have our root heresy for the Illuminati to carry through the ages. But what does that have to do with Jean-Paul Marat, Maximilien Robespierre, and Vladimir Lenin? Everyone's asking. What? Why? I don't want to have the answer right away. <laughs> Oh. You have to well, wait. If if I may ask also, so if Angel Jesus is on the cross and cannot feel pain, does that mean he was just like, ah, jeez, ah, man, this this sucks? Did he have like a packet of fake blood and he was just like <laughs> squeezing it or like what? Uh, yeah, it was. I, I mean, because Jesus made everyone believe that he was walking around with them. Yeah, I, I think it was. Uh, Jesus is a, is the one of the first great actors of. Well, then Judas is good, my dude. Like what? I sure. Okay. No, but Jesus was up there, like, where well, we shouldn't get into this any further. We're going to be, how we're going to be on okay. so many hit lists. All right, well, <laughs> I just want to know how he got down, but we'll it's fine. Let's skip. Uh, let's skip. It's fine. It's an angel. What? We're going to go to the Bogomils. Bogomils. So the Bogomils are a sort of medieval version of our Gnostic Manichaean folks. Neo-Gnostic sectarian movement emerged in Macedonia around the year 1000. That's like around Greece, Mediterranean region. Uh, And they brought uh, Gnosticism into the medieval world and were organized with a mission to oppose traditional state and church authority. Uh Uh-oh. So we're starting to get our anti-government, anti-religion plot mixed in with our Gnostic ideology. A major theme of the Illuminati's program, Webster says, is anarchism opposition to any social control or organization whatsoever. 
the Bogomil's ideas spread as far as Italy and France, helping to give rise to the French Cathars that we were just talking about. They believe that God has two sons. How many sons? Two. Two sons, Rob. Two of them. Son Sataniel. Sataniel. Oh. And Michael. Mikey. Sataniel rebelled against his father, making him the evil son, and went on to create the earth. He wanted to create humanity, but he couldn't without dad's permission. You see, he needed his father to give him Adam's spirit. Once he'd created Adam, Sataniel forced the first man to sell himself and the souls of all of his children and children's children, and so on, for all eternity, for the right to till the soil to survive. God was none too pleased with this and sent Michael down to earth as Jesus Christ. And Michael as Jesus broke the clay tablet on which Adam's deal with Sataniel had been written, transforming Sataniel into Satan. Lost those last three letters there. Satan then conspired to have Jesus Michael crucified. I'm like 100% down with this story prime uh, sibling rivalry there right this makes the whole thing so much better <laughs> it's a little cain and abel yeah. yeah 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 jesus michael christ now you know jesus's middle name it just explains a lot more about their relationship too like what they do in the desert all that time now you could think of a lot more about all the things they could have done they as complained brothers about and, dad and oh yeah. you mean they were their brothers so it's like a buddy comedy they were well, out in the desert I feel like, like they were still fighting but doing like stuff with blocks and playing with tonka trucks and stuff i, I didn't say there were four but oh you know normal children things like ascribing things on clay tablets and, right, then and breaking, breaking them yeah, yeah. <laughs> That was a bad move on Satan's part, right? To, to like just make it a clay. Like everything was contingent on a clay tablet. Like couldn't he have done that in, in something a bit sturdier? Don't you dare. Sometimes you just have to work with what God gave you. <laughs> and you know what God gave Satan? Apparently clay. You, you've never written out a grocery list on a clay tablet? <laughs> no, because it keeps shattering, man. And I don't know what I'm supposed to pick up. One lemon, two lemons... I personally switched to limestone after the ladies at the grocery store started making fun of me. Because of the clay, yeah. I said my chiseling skills were off. <laughs> I think that had more to do with your workout routine, Dan. Ooh. <laughs> you know what, man? <laughs> we're, we're back. We're back. Year three. Year three here, bringing our top game. So, the Bogomils revived major Gnostic themes of an evil demiurge ruling the earth and creation being the work of this evil being. And although they called themselves Christians, they were heretics in the eyes of the church, capital church. It was the Bogomils who introduced the Knights Templar to this anti-Christian theology. And in Webster's view, the Knights Templar were the first large-scale organization to grow the seed of the Illuminati conspiracy in Western culture. Now, I, I do want to take a moment here to bear in mind that I am, in this episode, focused on unpacking Webster's theory. The truth behind who the Knights Templar were and all the other groups we talk about is for another day. We're going to get there. We're going to talk about these guys. There's a whole episode about the Knights Templar, which is coming up next. Uh, but right now, I just want to tell you what Webster thought. So these are not my ideas. This is not Stuff I've researched, it is, but <laughs> at this moment, I'm leaving all that to the side so that we can focus on Webster's conspiracy theory. You got me? Yep. 
All right, you guys have to respond because our friends at home can't. I mean, they can, but I can't hear them. They're screaming right now. That they get it. Please move on, Rob. Okay. So, thinking of the Knights as anti-Christian should feel a little strange at first. They were founded after the success of the 1099 Crusade to protect Christian pilgrims visiting the Holy Land. That was their job. Why is Webster then calling them a bunch of heretics? They took a vow of poverty. Here's where things start to go off the rails. But they were so popular and received so many donations that their ranks and their power increased in step with their wealth. So a lot of people are joining the Knights Templar and they're carting around a lot of cash. Wait, so the they weren't getting paid from the church or whoever, but they were getting paid by the people? There was some papal funding coming to them, especially initially, but they were going around to all the lords of Europe to collect funding. What and was people the poverty were, part then that they were... So the individual knight was poor. It's sort of like your clergy member in the, the medieval period. In theory, they take a vow of poverty, but the order itself can collect money. Oh. So well, like, then what's the point? For what? Well, then you're getting money anyway. Well, but you're getting money so that you can fund your order to protect the pilgrims. But then why even... Okay. Why collect the money? It's like you can't no, afford a nice that, Gucci belt, but you can point. get a sweet sword. I just... Yes, yeah, you can't get that Gucci belt because that's not going to help the pilgrims, but you can buy anything you need for pilgrims. I thought... I feel like anytime I've watched anything on, like, the Knights Templar, I've always seen that they were, like... They always are, like, oh, they're, like, flowing in gold, and, like, that's always the... That's pretty much... That's a... Yeah, that's... Are you talking about, like, History Channel conspiracy yeah, yeah. theory well, stuff? Yeah, just, like... Just anything I've ever watched on TV, I feel like it's always, They're like, in good shape. They have a nice well, uniform. Gold. They got good horses. They had three horses per man in the oh, Holy shit. Land. But that was in order to... So now we're getting into some of the research here, but that was in order to protect... That was for their mission. So it wasn't, like, so they could just be fancy and get the ladies. It was so they could have enough provisions to take care of the pilgrims and to advance the cause of the crusades. But you're telling me that everyone was just like a good little soldier and used their funds for Well, I can't vouch for the... everyone, but I'm going to say most for the most like part system. at the top of the system, I think that's mostly what they were doing. And they were also bankers on behalf of the lords of France and England and whatever. That's how they started, right? Well, they remain bankers throughout. And this is, you know, whenever you... Bankers, right? The Rothschilds, all these people get into these conspiracy theories because they were bankers. The Knights Templar were... Basically, what they did is they would hold on to cash in the Holy Land because, like, if you're the king of France and you're coming down to fight a holy war, you don't bring your, like, checkbook with you. So if you need to buy more stuff to feed your army, you need a bank. And the Knights Templar were that bank. They had that cash on hand that they could then give the king of France, loan the king of France, and he would have to pay them back because they're the freaking Knights Templar. So if he didn't, the Pope would just excommunicate him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which they cared about for a while, but anyway, we'll get into that Sorry. next time. It's all right. It's it's yeah, worth no checkbook, but three horses for business, home, and pleasure. Right? <laughs> no, no pleasure, business, home, and business. <laughs> Two business horses for business coming, business going. Inbox, outbox. Anyway. Where were we? In Webster's conspiracy theory version of the Templars, they repeatedly jeopardized the faith in service of acquiring wealth. Maybe this is what you heard History Channel-wise. Protecting a recent... I'm picking on the History Channel. I don't know where you're hearing this stuff. 
Yeah, probably the history. Just TV. I don't yeah. know what I'm watching. So, protecting a recent Christian convert from Islam, they gave the guy back to his family, who proceeded to punish him severely. Why did the Knights Templar give this convert to Christianity back to his Muslim family? Because the family paid them a handsome bribe. Webster cites a variety of examples of the Templars sacrificing their Christian values in service of acquiring wealth. But that wasn't the worst of it. Rumors began to circulate of still darker trespasses against the Christian faith taking place in the secret rooms of the Templars' various enclosures. You ready for this? It's going to get dark. Yeah, Aubrey? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. (laughs) Aubrey's into the single syllables today. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. (laughs) On the 13th of October. Ooh, what a good day. It's my mother's birthday. That's a great birthday. Right? Wow. 1307. That's not my mother's birthday. (laughs) King Philippe le Bel, or Philip the Fair of France, had all of the French Templars rounded up to stand trial for betraying the church. The French Inquisitor accused them of insulting the cross in their initiation, denying Christ, worshipping a false image of God, allowing lay chiefs to give absolution, which was a right reserved for a priest, and practicing unnatural vice. Execute them. Kill them where they stand. They're going to. The French tortured the knights first, and many confessed. While these confessions might seem coerced, and definitely were coerced webster is one step ahead of us on this she's like i I see you rob in 90 years deciding that this is made up but i've got you she says unwilling to believe the results of philippe's trial webster points to the fact that the pope conducted his own inquiry with 72 knights and he did not torture the knights and yet he received similar confessions to what philippe's inquisitor had heard again i'm not going to question any of these things historically today that's for the next episode trials and convictions followed across europe except in germany where the knights were tortured but never convicted Go German Knights Templar. In England, Edward II was reluctant to prosecute the knights at all, but finally did, receiving mixed results with some knights confessing and others pleading their innocence. Edward II famously died by being sodomized with a hot poker. Yeah. Um, so I, say, I feel like he was worrying about a lot of things. It was a separate, yeah, it was a separate a issue. A going on. Uh, Christopher Marlowe in a play about Edward II uh, su- strongly suggested that Edward II was uh, homosexual and was sodomized with a poker as a result. But historically he was, we don't know if he was homosexual, but we know that he was definitely sodomized with a poker and that's how he died. But that's not the story we're telling today. That is a complete tangent. But Olivia, I could tell, ne- needed me to say. <laughs> need you to you really I, wanted me to that's like, like more it. than 50 shades darker that's like a hundred shades black <laughs> hundred shades dead play. back in france 54 knights recanted their confessions and were burned at the stake uh, for relapse heretics don't 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 relapse in medieval france but also don't do it now yeah joan of arc also was she was burned at the stake for relapsing Okay, so this is our first real evidence of an anti-Christian movement, hiding behind closed doors in the secret meetings of a not-so-secret society. Given the knights' mixed responses, Webster guessed that there were probably knights among them who did or did not ascribe to the conspiracy. So she's, she's a pretty reasonable person when she's trying to make her argument. She's not like all of them were evil. She says some of them were evil. I'll take that. 
Well, we'll take it today, but we're not going to take it next time. When, yeah, I'm going to tear this all apart. When superiors, at, but I want to take this seriously, take it slowly. I don't want to, you know, ruin everything right away. We got to get, let Webster have her day. Let her have her moment. And then we'll start into it. Okay. She gets one episode Here she as is. a treat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm ruining it by constantly pointing to the fact that this is, this is not going to last. Okay. So when superiors, okay, <laughs> what the heck was I talking about? Oh, they were proud. So there's some knights who are evil, some knights not evil. So when superiors ask the knights to spit on the cross, right? So your boss is like, so you just convert, you're, you're, you just join the Knights Templar. You give up all your stuff. They give you your smock with the red cross on it, and the nice white smock that Olivia thinks is so expensive. And, uh, <laughs> I don't know, clothes were expensive, right? I guess. I don't know. So the very next thing that happens is, you know, the lead knight comes up to you and he says, spit on the cross and curse Jesus. Oh. They're actually testing you to see whether the knight belongs in the inner circle of anti-Christian conspirators. So if you refuse, they don't let you join the inner circle. Oh, shit. This is like in the Kingsman. No, sorry. That's not for <laughs> Stop. So what you're telling me is the one key into the inner sanctum is if some random guy... He's like, yo, spit on that cross. And you do. And then you do. And, and then you you're in. The yeah, you're all in. Like, yeah. That's all you got to do. I mean, it is medieval France, so you're cursing the god who, uh, you know, is going to decide whether or not you spend eternity in, in hell. So that's a big choice. It's just like the Kingsman. Right. But you get brotherhood, I guess. That's like a plus. Yep, yep, you do. Probably you, like a sweet hat. Sure, you do get a sweet hat. You're going to get a sweet hat either way. It's a, it's a fair trade-off for the times. <laughs> <laughs> they don't get a hat in the kings. And, and they're Catholics, so I know it's eternal damnation. Anyway, it's some, there will be some damnation of you. It's also possible, and Webster admits this, that the blasphemous acts could have been tests the knights used to determine who was truly worthy of the order. So maybe there wasn't an evil order. Maybe they were just asking you to do it, and if you did it, they were like, ah, you don't love Jesus enough to be a Templar. So only the knight who rejected the blasphemous requests could become a true knight. But t- Webster decides it's actually easier to believe in a secret order of satanic knights, despite the mixed confessions and recantations. And she just sort of carries on. So she mentions this. She's like, it's possible that this was just a test to see if they were worthy of Jesus. But I'd rather believe that there were evil knights worshiping Satan at the middle of these places. I mean, wouldn't you? And that's, yeah, that, but that's it. Okay, so... Again, I have a lot more to say about the Knights Templar, uh, but let's move on. After the Templars were disbanded, or burned at the stake, so you could... They're over? They're gone? They're gone, they're gone. Wow. So fast. (laughs) They they last a couple hundred years, so actually not the longest of movements when you think about the medieval world. Anyway, the next group... So we got to get somebody to pick up the torch of the Illuminati, because the Knights Templar are gone, and that is the witches, the witchcraft cults. Webster believes that, that the... Sorry. That's a Dan weird... didn't like that. Oh, didn't like that sound? It sounded a little angel-y. Oh, for a witchcraft cult? It was like going into ghost, but then I was like, I gotta stop. <laughs> it's time to stop. Couldn't let the ghost out. Yeah. I think that's what the Templars said, too. Webster believes that the witchcraft accusations aired at trials across Europe were based on actual witchcraft practices. Okay, so this is a complicated claim that we discussed earlier in the podcast. In fact, uh, like our second season on our Wicca episode in our Lady Magic series, that's season two, that you're on, aren't you, Aubrey? Yes, I am. Delightful. (laughs) 
uh, it's not easy to prove or disprove, though. So uh, many uh, of the views on uh, witchcraft expressed by church inquisitors, as in the Malleus Maleficarum, the, the manual for witchcraft trials, were entirely the product of the inquisitors' repressed imaginations. They imagined things like that their penises would be vanished and stuff. But for Webster, that's neither here nor there. The witches were real, according to her, and they really murdered innocent people in the service of performing black magic rites. Yeah. See, for example, Gilles de Ray. Gilles de Ray was a French hero of the Battle of Orléans who fought alongside Joan of Arc and was later tried and convicted of the murder of scores of peasant children who he killed in the act of invoking demons who de Ray believed would reward him with wealth. Again, we're not going to do that today. We actually have a whole episode on Gilles de Ray in our Black Magic series. Uh, I'll refer you out to that episode. Uh, needless to say, the de Ray story is also very complicated. All right. And that brings us to uh, our very first segment, uh, first version of our first segment of the day. It's called The Word You May Be Wondering About. Oh. Do you want to, is that what you want to do for that? word you might be no i gotta work on it i gotta workshop it i gotta workshop it it'll be back so this is just the first one gonna marinate it let it cook yeah yeah okay uh so that 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 sound means we've reached our daily segment and by sound i mean whatever olivia just did uh today we're bringing you the word you may have been wondering about in which i define a word that i've been using a bunch this whole episode and really should have taken more time to define uh, we want to thank a listener and patron, Leslie Joy, for suggesting this segment. Good idea, Leslie. I love you. And so, let's have our first word and lesbian partner of Olivia Literal. She, her and Ryan were looking for a third. Apparently they found it. Sorry. She is a Pisces and she would complete our water sign triangle, but that's besides the point. They're not really looking for a third. Stop sending messages Please on Twitter. stop sending me mail. <laughs> How did you get my address? And so let's have our first word you may have been wondering about. Today's word is Illuminati. It's in the episode title, and I really should have spent more time defining that word. In case you haven't heard of that strange word before. So the term Illuminati dates to 1776 when German professor Adam Weishaupt used it as the name for a secret society with a mission to undermine the established powers that be throughout Europe. We'll get to him in a little bit. But today, most conspiracy theorists use the word to describe any elite group or groups with a hidden agenda to control or otherwise subvert the will of the masses. So, when a podcaster says Beyonce or Jay-Z are in the Illuminati, they don't really mean a cohesive group dating back to the late 18th century, nor do they mean that Jay-Z and Beyonce are in Bavaria. They could mean that, but they could also mean that they are simply members of an elite group with a secret plan. And that's the word you may have been wondering about. Now I know. That's me. <laughs> I think their secret group is just called Title. Title. Oh my god. Title. I Insert can't. title here. No, like that's his Tidal his streaming is, service. Yeah. Jay Z. Oh, I don't yeah. know anything I, about Jay Z. He's like trying to usurp uh, Apple and Spotify. <gasps> it's on. Yeah. Yeah, it's. Oh, you're it's right. It's on streaming services. Lemonade is all Shut on up. all. Uh, platforms are we like <laughs> plugging them now plugging beyonce yes i'm <laughs> sure she'll no. reciprocate and do not support billionaires they're all crazy <laughs> confident that she will reciprocate that so all right Moving back to Webster, uh, next in her progression comes the 17th century Rosicrucians, a possibly imaginary secret order of Christians. 
The Rosicrucians, if they existed, self-consciously took up the mantle of their predecessors in the Knights Templar and the Witch Cult by using the Rosy Cross as their symbol. Okay, well, so the Witch Cult didn't use the Rosy Cross, but the Knights Templar did wear a big red cross on their chests, and the Rosicrucians used a Rosy Cross. So, ooh, correlation? No. The Rosicrucians, Webster says yes, where is her day? Oh, sorry. The, Web- sorry. the Rosicrucians believed that Christ established a college of magic among his disciples, reserving the greatest mysteries for John and Paul. These mysteries were reflected in a series of manifestos by the pseudonymous Christian Rosenkreutz and the allegorical narrative The Chemical Wedding, one of my favorite occult books. Oh, I remember that title now. What the Chemical Wedding? Title. Yeah, we're going to do that. We're going to do The Rosicrucians, too. That's That's an episode that's coming up. Cool. Okay, so these books and books inspired by them are the only real activity we scholars can attribute directly to the original Rosicrucians. So it's possible there never were secret meetings of anyone calling themselves Rosicrucian, just people sitting alone writing books about secret orders that don't exist. Right? Could be. That's how I spend my Saturdays. I was going to say I aspire to do that one day. One day to write books about things that don't exist, secret orders that aren't there. Yes. Isn't that what J.K. Rowling is making millions of dollars off of? <laughs> I'll get on that, Aubrey. What are you doing? <laughs> was that a dig? I think it was. I don't know. It's she o- hates it's, trans people, it's so It's okay I don't care. to dig J.K. Rowling. She's not safe. Yeah, she's not safe anymore. <laughs> well, there goes that plug that we were getting from her. Throughout the early, but Beyonce is still possible, throughout the early 17th century, People posted public notices in newspapers looking to join the Rosicrucians, but there is no documentary evidence of any order ever responding. It's the saddest thing in occult history, really. All these people begging, like, you know, the want ads in the newspaper. Please let me join you. Got left on red. It's like a personal ad, right? Uh, It's possible that they were just that good at keeping the secret... Hundreds of books were published through the 17th century reflecting Rosicrucian themes and attempting to expand on the principles set forth in the First Manifestos and the Chemical Wedding. While the Rosicrucian texts may have seemed to reflect Christian values, and the writers actually professed to only practice what we might call today white magic, Webster says, There's no such thing as white magic, Rob. And the Rosicrucians which she does acknowledge maybe never existed in the first place. But if there were Rosicrucians, they were satanic. The sect is further accused of compact with the devil, sacrifices of children, of cherishing toads, and making poisonous powders, dancing with fiends, etc. But of the real doctrines of the Rosicrucians, no one can speak with certainty. As the book continues, Webster often speaks in this speculative way. Since the secret practices and beliefs she's talking about, poisonings and black masses, are by definition kept away from the public gaze, both contemporary and historical gaze, that is, there's no way to say that they ever happened. There's also no way to prove that they didn't happen. The people who lived in your house before you moved in used to have sex in your kitchen sink all the time. There's no way for me to prove that that ever really happened. And the people that live there now still do. <laughs> Chew on that. <laughs> Let me start that again. The people who lived in your house before you moved in used to have sex in your kitchen sink all the time. I'm just doing this for Aubrey now. There's no way for me to prove 
that these people did have sex in your kitchen sink. There's also no way for you or the people who owned the house before you to prove that it didn't happen. Sure, they would say that they didn't have sex in the kitchen sink, because that's the kind of weird thing, a little bit hard to physically imagine, and bordering on unsanitary, that you would say you didn't do. You would say, I didn't have sex in that sink. Especially if I was having sex in that sink. In the same way, the Rosicrucians would say that they didn't poison people and desecrate crosses. But that doesn't mean that they didn't poison people and desecrate crosses. Of course, that's what they would say. Did I just undo conspiracy theory across the globe in every man with using sex in the kitchen sink? Did I do that? Yep, that's it. You canceled it. Conspiracy canceled. theories, they're gone. They're 86. Cancel culture. 86 it. Yep. You're welcome, America. But see, you could just get one of those little light thingies and just find all the sperm all over your kitchen sink light. and then you get all the people that used to live there and you line them up and you you question them until you figure it out that's not sperm and that was placed there that was planted that's planted evidence i think you put that there i think you have multiple personalities and that's how that ended up there you're not wrong <laughs> but maybe they put some there too you're too loud you're too yeah. loud news, newsflash rob exposes that people lie about bad things that they do <laughs> And enter conspiracy theory. So whether or not the Rosicrucians ever existed, people believe they did. And so their ideas manifested in the Order of the Rose Cross, which is a degree within the Freemasons. The Freemasons inherited the mystery from the Rosicrucians. So here goes the Illuminati taking steps. But much like the secret satanic inner circle of the Knights Templar, not all Freemasons were part of this conspiracy. Many were completely ignorant of it. The Freemasons are central to most Illuminati conspiracy theories, at least the ones that trade in the sort of history that we're talking about. We have to keep in mind that the Masons were an international movement with strong roots in Enlightenment thinking. Masons occupied important positions in governments across the Western world. An important part of what the Masons were encouraging were basic rationalist principles. Got that? Yes. Yes, we do, Rob. These principles are typified by the French Enlightenment thinker Denis Diderot, the driving force of the Encyclopédie or the first encyclopedia of the modern world. Diderot believed in the abolishment of the monarchy and state religion. These, he believed, infringed on the basic rights of humans. While Webster makes these ideas seem like aberrations, they're pretty much the founding principles of the United States, and also the hallmark of advanced democracies. But Webster says these ideas are both anti-Christian and anarchist, the twin handmaidens of the satanic Illuminati conspiracy. The French Enlightenment's Encyclopédia was the work of Brother Masons, collaborating to undermine both church and crown. The Masons were infiltrated and overcome by anti-religious, anti-monarchist revolutionaries. It's no accident that occultism flourished in France in the work of such notable magicians as Saint-Germain, Cagliostro, and Franz Anton Mesmer. And that brings us up to the actual Illuminati, who were a real secret society that existed for just about 12 years in Enlightenment Bavaria mention them at the beginning. These Illuminati were formed in 1776, as I said in our word, uh, by Adam Weishaupt with a stated mission to abolish all established religions and political authority. All right. Weishaupt was a law professor in Ingolstadt in the electorate of Bavaria. 
1776, ooh, magical year, he founded the Illuminati as a kind of brotherhood of spies, organized within isolated cells, keeping the membership secret even from many of the other members. Initiates, many recruited from the Freemasons, had a heavily prescribed reading list and were uniformly committed to Weishaupt's rationalist program against organized religion and government. Sort of like, uh, the alchemical actors. Long reading list. Organized program of podcasting craziness into the world. That's all we do. Yeah, there was no podcasting, though, with the Illuminati. Maybe there is now. I don't know. Webster argues that Weishaupt learned how to structure his Illuminati from a Manichaean merchant named Calmer, who also went by the name Altotas. Don't look those up. You won't get anywhere. I tried. Weishaupt trained for five years with Altotas. The more we penetrate into his system, the more apparent it becomes that all the formulas he employs, which derive from any religious source, whether Persian, Egyptian, or Christian, merely serve to disguise a purely marital purpose, a plan for destroying the existing order of society. Thus, all that was really ancient in Illuminism was the destructive spirit that animated it, and also the method of organization it had imported from the East. Weishaupt seems to have been operating at the direction of a hidden group in forming his Illuminati. This group sought freedom of religion, freedom of the press, and the liberation of the enslaved and overtaxed, also the abolition of trade unions. Weishaupt directed the Illuminati toward a program of total anarchy. Human beings lived in health and peace before the development of modern society, via agriculture, bringing about property ownership, government, etc. Humans should strive to return to this state in which they are dependent on themselves, and not a government or a neighbor for their happiness and survival. On the religious end, Weishaupt said that no divine redeemer would bring this about burn. Men must do this for themselves. Working through secret societies, men will bring down the existing order through a bloodless revolution. To further make Webster's point that he was anti-Christian, Weishaupt framed Jesus as a communist and a secret society adept intent on breaking down the boundaries between religions. Thanks, Jesus. That sounds super cool. I was going to say it sounds like part communism, part just throw away natural law theory and just let everyone kill each other. Well, but that's not what Jesus wanted. Jesus wanted us to live on communes and, uh, you know, be tolerant well, of each other's religious beliefs. Well, then, well, not there. But. Well, that's what Weishaupt said anyway. And that's what Webster said about Weishaupt. Boy, we got a lot of lenses here today. Anyway. That's what Webster said about Weishaupt, about communist Jesus. Correct. In that order. You got all that? This will get easier when we, and when we, believe it or not, when we go to the medieval period, this is all going to get a lot easier. This is the toughest day, I think. And what? So if they take down the government, do they just rule? Like, what is the... No, they don't want to rule. They, Weishaupt's theory is that he just, want to dis, just wants to dismantle government. Government then itself what? is bad. Anarchy. We live on our own. Okay, we support so, yeah, ourselves. We literally... Just, There's no replacement. Yeah. We live by nature. It's the... Dis- Nature's yeah. laws. We take down organized religion, we take down the government, and we just all chill. But then won't they not be a society anymore? They don't, they don't like society. Society's bad. But they are in itself a society together believing this. Well, they're a conspiracy to bring down... They're a real conspiracy to bring down the governments of the world. 
to dismantle the governments of the world. So they don't want to then step in. They'll just all move to their own farms and never talk to each other again. That's what I'm asking. Well, and it's also true that they didn't know who each other were. Weishaupt was really good at not oh, letting anyone right. else know that. that they were in the Illuminati. Mm-hmm. So you wouldn't even you wouldn't be able to meet up with your Illuminati friends. It wasn't a very it wasn't like the Freemasons. You didn't have like meetings on Saturdays where you all chilled in your robes. What happened to the people that weren't informed that aren't in on it? Well, we just we would just be we wouldn't know this this okay. you know hidden hand of the Illuminati will have destroyed the governments of the world and we just have to live on our farms and you know Got it. enjoy our lives. Take that. Yeah, suddenly we aren't having to pay tax. If you paid tax, Ooh. then yeah, no taxes, none of that. I'm not necessarily a fan of anarchy. Let me tell you, I'm just telling you this is what Weishaupt imagined. I'm just channeling Weishaupt. Here. I feel like in an, a strictly agricultural setting, that's kind of okay. Where you're like only purpose is to sell grain to old women in a farm then you know it like it's cheaper and if we it's were easier like, if we were all re- well-rounded human beings you know and could get along then it would totally be Man, ideal, imagine but... that huh <laughs> <laughs> there are so many philosophers that are like rolling in their grave right now <laughs> they're like this right. is rousseau springs to mind here but yeah. uh yeah, if we could get along, yeah. So that's the thing. And we don't. We shouldn't need to get along, I think, in the Weishauptian view of the world because we should all be able to live on our own farms. Mm. And, we, and we shouldn't bug each other. And we should, like, mate with each other's daughters and stuff because that's healthy. But we shouldn't need each other for anything. Yeah, again, you, you give people possessions. You, you can't. Yeah. Mm. So in July... Uh, 1785, an Illuminatus named Lanza was struck by lightning on his way to Silesia. When his body was found, he was searched, and officials discovered the order's instructions. The historical Illuminati's secrets had been exposed. The order was officially suppressed in 1786, and Weishaupt was banished from Bavaria. It's kind of a, yeah, pretty badass end. So he was banished... Oh, no, no, this is not the guy that got hit by the lightning. Different guy was struck by lightning. So his note did not get, like, turned to ash from a lightning bolt? No, it was just sort of okay. I think that would happen, though. That's I don't kind think... of insane. Well, it's a hand of God, man. The yeah. finger of God ended the Illuminati. Is it like a Terminator thumbs up that he was just like holding the note? Yep. And that was the only thing left. I don't think his whole body has to like burst into flames. No, it'll come down through the top of your head, I believe. And the the rest of you is, is just your, your, your heart stops because you get struck yeah. with the electricity. But Yeah, I don't have personal experience with a lightning bolt, so <laughs> I couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> you're not like going a, strong you're not like a charred anyway so uh where were we webster does not believe uh that this was the last history heard of weishaupt official history yeah but official history is for losers conspiratorial history is for the you know everyone the else chads uh, is it webster says weishaupt's order continued under a skillful system of camouflage under the guise of the lodge of amos reunis he directly influenced french revolutionaries by collecting together middle class and aristocratic anti-monarchists and instigating the execution of louis the 16th while this may or may not be true it is true that following his exile, Weishaupt wrote a series of books detailing the meaning and method of Illuminism, and these may have inspired some of the French revolutionaries. The reign of terror, like the outbreak of Satanism in the Middle Ages, can be explained by no material causes. The orgy of hatred, lust, and cruelty directed not only against the rich, but still more against the poor and defenseless. The destruction of science, art, and beauty 
the desecration of churches, the organized campaign against all that was noble, all that was sacred, all that humanity holds dear. What was this but Satanism? So we've got the basics of Webster's chronology and can imagine how the Illuminati takes over from here, or listen to literally any of the many conspiracy podcasts or YouTube channels who detail the Illuminati's activities in the modern world. But we're not quite done with Webster yet, because we can't fully comprehend the modern roots of the Illuminati without Webster's theory of a vast Jewish and socialist conspiracy to bolster and advance the Illuminati's agenda. Are we ready for this? Hell yeah. (laughs) I'm ready to dive on in. Although Webster takes pains at the start of secret societies and subversive movements, her book, to let her readers know that she is not anti-Semitic. If you gotta let them know. Oh, she says it over and over again. Particularly when she's saying anti-Semitic stuff. So, the thread of a secret Jewish conspiracy aiding and abetting the anti-Christian anarchist black magic conspiracy runs through pretty much the whole text. She affects a measured tone in talking about this Jewish conspiracy, but pulls no punches and ultimately develops a distinctly anti-Jewish perspective. The charge of black magic recurs through the history of Europe from its earliest times. The Jews are accused of poisoning wells, of practicing ritual murder, of using stolen church property for the purposes of desecration. No doubt there enters into all of this a great amount of exaggeration, inspired by popular prejudices and medieval superstition. Yet, whilst condemning the persecution to which the Jews were subjected to on this account, It must be admitted that they laid themselves open to suspicion by their real addiction to magical arts. Anytime you hear yet, that just means, yeah, everything I just said, forget about it. Fellow Jew, I am honored to be (laughs) in the lines of uh, black magic. You are honored to be a black magician. Yes. You are honored to have Webster wind her hand around your shoulder and then carefully stab you in the back. Hmm. How could you respond positively to that? <laughs> like, yeah, you know, it's not that bad. She told okay, me so that I poison ma- wells. <laughs> I frequently do that. No, no, she, it's unreasonable, Dan. It's unreasonable to think that Jews poison wells. They just definitely practice, practice magic. Just definitely magical. Yeah, not anti-Semitic, by the way. <laughs> See, that's cool. Okay, so you're so far so good. I don't know if you're going to stay that way, but okay. These magical arts are the Kabbalah, famously practiced by a series of Baal Shems. The Baal Shem is the... You, got, you know about those, uh, Aubrey? The Baal Shem? Mm, I know a little bit about the Kabbalah, but... Okay, what do you know? Is that, is that the one where they put the boxes boxes on their head and wrap up their arms and stuff? Or is that no. the other one? No. <laughs> is, is that a different... What is that, Olivia? I don't know what that I don't is, know what she's talking but about. that's not... I mean, it's possible. I just haven't they seen that done. the movie Pi. Oh. Yes. All right. Let's talk about the Baal Shems. Uh, So the Baal Shem is central to the Kabbalah, Hebrew term for master of the name, and refers to rabbis capable of using the tetragrammaton or divine name of God to achieve miracles. The Baal Shem rose to prominence during the 18th century, roughly the same time period that the Freemasons were adopting Rosicrucian principles and Weishaupt was organizing his Illuminati. Coincidence? I think so. Traditionally, the Baal Shem could achieve direct contact with God to heal and intercede on behalf of his community. Have you ever been healed by a Baal Shem? Never met him. 
How about a guy in a, with a box on his head? Has, has that ever happened to you? Have you been healed by such a man? I'd love to, but uh, or had no, your never arms met wrapped any of up? those guys in person, okay. sadly. The last dude I met with a box on his head was a Minecraft impersonator in Philly, <laughs> and that did not go well. He did not smell very nice. <laughs> <laughs> Why did you smell him? Well, we were in a coffee shop. Not that I like know wow. this guy, but did you try was... to get into his box with him? <laughs> oh <laughs> no, it was just on his head. Like there was, there was obviously a convention going on nearby because I also saw like Mario walking down the street. But he looked kind of sad, and I don't know. He just like was behind me. But who wears the box? Like in the coffee shop? Still, I don't know. It's just He's a character. Yeah. The secret name of God which is only spoken in the holiest temple on the holiest of days, Yom Kippur, had been lost with the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in the year 70. But a Baal Shem was able, through mystical means, magic, to recover the name, the name of God, and utilize it to work miracles. So this was a secret that the Baal Shems walked around with, and they only got it by mystically channeling some otherworldly force. Webster gives special attention to a British Baal Shem, Dr. Samuel Jacob Falk. This was the Baal Shem of London, and he escaped burning at the stake on charges of sorcery and moved to London, Yeah, where he was a neighbor to Emanuel Swedenborg, a major figure in the advances of American occultism. He was a big inspiration for the spiritualist movement, for example. His neighbor. Okay, so there were many legends about Falk, including that he rescued the great synagogue in London from fire by writing in Hebrew on one of the pillars. You ever done that, Aubrey? No, but I would like to. You should probably start writing on more stuff in Hebrew just in case it catches fire. I think I'm going to start researching later today. There you go. Baal Shem Jacob, Samuel Jacob Falk. Anyway, Webster claims, and this is not something you're going to find in your research unless you read her book, that Falk places cross, he placed, historically, in the 18th century, crosses dipped in his apprentice's blood at the four corners of his garden and sacrificed a goat inside of an elaborate sigil written on the ground in which he had written the name of God and God's angels and a chapter of the Gospel of St. John. All right. While the purpose of this ritual is uncertain, because Webster never says what this was for. Well, I hear they didn't have fertilizer back then. If this was in his garden, maybe he was just down and out. (laughs) The method of this ritual is meant to be sufficiently shocking to convict Falk of black magic in the eyes of Webster's readers, right? Same as that quote, you're magic, but uh, that's all we can say for sure. Magic. She claims Falk was a member of the Freemasons, or at least regularly consulted by the Masons, and was consequently an important influence on the secret societies at the center of her study. Falk is, in other words, further evidence of a satanic occultist Judaism shaping the Illuminati. It is in the Kabbalah, still more than in the Talmud, that the Judaic dream of world domination recurs with the greatest persistence. A race that has always considered itself entitled to occupy a privileged position amongst the nations of the world must inevitably meet with resentment. And in a primitive age or population, resentment is apt to find vent in violence shocking to the civilized mind. A Kabbalistic reading of the Bible using a secret code reveals that Jews in the know were aware of Jesus as the Messiah, but leading priests denied him for fear of losing their authority. So they heard about Jesus, they were like, Jesus is real, they read it in the Bible, and they're using the magic of the Kabbalah, and they were like, no, we can't let anyone find out about this, because then we won't have Jews anymore. 
Webster says that a general hatred of Christianity permeates rabbinical tradition. She cites the Toledat Yeshu, a actual real book, satire on the story of Jesus, that circulated in the late medieval period and may have been read by Jews on Christmas. Okay, according to the Ancient Jew Review, which is a real public publication you can reference online, Early versions of the Toledet Yeshu skipped over Jesus' birth narrative, but later stories described how Mary, an upstanding Jewish woman, was taken advantage of or raped by Jesus' villainous human father. The story goes on to describe how Jesus stole the Tetragrammaton from the temple and used it to perform miracles. The rabbis excommunicated Jesus, and he was crucified on a cabbage stalk. Is it that sturdy to crucify someone on? It's a satire, Dan. They took him down a couple pegs there. Right, so apparently Jews read this at on Christmas Day. That's a lot more. In 1350. Fun. Did you have you ever read that, Aubrey? Say, As a yeah. no, I've never heard that story before. Would you like to read that at Christmas? Is it is it bad to say yes? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what what nope. is more festive than the rape of Mother Mary? Oh my goodness! Yeah. Oh. Oh my goodness! My goodness, Ca- there's a Which Catholics. I do just... not condone, for the record. My mother is having a heart attack somewhere. Catholic oh, fainting, Lord. yeah. Riley fainted. Okay, so yeah, Riley's done. The existence of such a, ta- a satire is not necessarily evidence of a vast Jewish conspiracy to undermine Christianity. So Aubrey, you can enjoy. People are apt to find each other's religions sometimes a little silly. Although we tried our best to be sensitive on this podcast, we also sometimes find other people's religions silly. Uh, But that's not evidence that the alchemical actors are attempting to bring down any religion in the service of some grand plot, just as the Toledot Yeshu is not evidence in and of itself that the Jews are trying to bring down Christianity. The idea of a Jewish conspiracy to undermine Christendom was most famously articulated in the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. This was supposed to have been a secret track traded among Jewish Illuminati detailing their plans for world domination. Webster was clearly inspired by this book and even contributed to a series of articles about the Protocols which appeared in London's Morning Post. At the time she was publishing in uh, 1924, the Protocols had been exposed as a fraud. But that didn't change Webster's mind about the Jewish threat one bit. The theory of a Jewish world conspiracy does not, of course, rest on the evidence of the protocols. To judge by the paeans of joy that rang through the press after the publication of the Times articles, one would imagine that with this so-called refutation of this one document, the whole case against the Jews had collapsed, and that the anti-Semites must be forever silenced. Yet, intelligent Jews must be well aware that whether secret societies have contributed as much to past revolutions as these writers believed, their existence and their very real influence is not a matter of surmise, but of historical fact. The conspiracy is also communist and socialist, which should come as no surprise since it inspired Lenin in Russia. Socialism has only been able to make headway by borrowing the language of anarchy in order to blast its way to power. Peaceful communism is simply a matter of population control. The conditions under which man can sit in the sun and enjoy the fruits of the earth with little effort must be transformed with the multiplication of the human species into a system which recognizes private property. 
Our capitalist social order is necessary given the size and complexity of our society. Any opposition to that order is advocacy for disorder, says Webster. Ultimately, this is the great problem with Webster's argument. Her definition of a revolutionary, an illuminatus, is so broad that the cons and the conspiracy is so comprehensive that anyone with any idea outside of her vision of the status quo seems to be caught up in it. Every new thought is a challenge to the old world order, and it's also an existential threat to society. Every interpretation of religion or culture or society that doesn't exactly match Webster's own is anathema. If the conspiracy is everywhere, then it's probably nowhere. Why should we assume that Webster's preferred reality is the best? Why should we assume her vision of Christianity brings us closer to God, or that her vision of government is the most beneficial for the governed? She doesn't tell us, and it's worth noting that Webster was a member of not one, but two fascist organizations in Britain. Perhaps Webster's ideal world isn't so ideal after all. While we might quarrel with Webster's worldview, the question lingers whether any of the conspiracy she's outlined really existed or continues to exist. Even if we agree with some or all of the program, are there really occultists attempting to undermine the world order as it exists? These answers and more are coming your way, dear confessors, as we begin to work our way through Webster's claims and the claims of occult conspiracy theorists across the 20th century and up to the present day. Next time, here on Occult Confessions. Okay, uh, so uh, we're introducing a couple new segments at the end here. Uh, the first one is uh, we, we've actually sent our, our alchemical actor, Instaquisitor Shannon Landers, out into the field. Uh, she's our first field correspondent, and uh, I've got her here on the line. Shannon, uh, Shannon, are you there? Shannon, hello? Uh, uh, hi, hi, Rob. Shannon, hey, hi. Hi, I just want to say that I'm honored to be our first field correspondent. I, yeah, you seem like the perfect per person for me. I, I feel like if anyone can handle a field, it's you. You know, that's what people tell me all the time. Magnetic field, uh, just a cornfield. I think that you're, our, you're our man in the field. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay. laughs> that's me. <laughs> uh, so can you tell the good people what your assignment is, uh, Shannon, out in the field? What, who, who are you looking for? Okay, okay. So this is top secret information. Right. So don't so, tell anyone else, listeners. Yeah. I know this is a public podcast, but it's right. just, just us. <laughs> Just if you see Shannon in public. the field, don't blow her cover. Yeah, don't don't yeah. rat me out, guys. All right, so who? What are you up to? Uh, the, the Illuminati. Yeah, you're you're uh, hunting them down for us. Yeah. So uh, your your job is to find the Illuminati headquarters. Yes, I take my job very seriously. And we're gonna post that on Instagram as soon as we figure out where it is. Yeah, you can look at the location uh, yeah. on the post. <laughs> yeah, we'll know. Shannon Landers has checked in. Yeah. Location at the <laughs> Checked in at Illuminati headquarters. Yes. Uh, all right, then. So uh, so, so, how's it going? Where, where are you at in the world? So you're hunting down the Illuminati. Uh, you could be anywhere. We've given you our entire Patreon budget oh, yeah. for the month, uh, which is, you know, I, some I have money. To say, I spend at least like 87% of it. <laughs> what? That is a very specific percent. I know. What are but you it's telling all... me? Spending on what? Did you find the Illuminati? That's a lot of percent of our Patreon budget. Excuse me, ma'am. Um, are you ready to put in a drink order? Oh yes, please. Uh, do you have? Sh 
Um, Shannon, Shannon, hello. Sorry, one second, Rob. Are, are you? Um, do you have grapefruit juice with like medium pulp? What? I actually only I only have full Shannon. pulp or no Shannon. pulp for my grapefruit. Can hello. You just do half and C- half. Come in, Shannon. I can I can um uh, I can oh, cut it with field water. Field Come in, please. Oh, Come oh, in, I'm please. Sorry, ma'am. That'll, that'll be fine. Whatever you. It'll what, be fine. Can you? Thank what, you. Are you? Are you out to eat? I. Yeah, how could I find Illuminati on an empty stomach, Rob? Wait, so the 87% of, of your budget... You uh, gotta tip your server. You're, you've been tipping generously. Yeah, 87%. 80, you've been tipping 87%. Okay, Rob, you gotta listen to me, all right? Uh-huh. So, like, this Waffle House is, yeah. like, not like any other Waffle Houses, okay? I got your uh, grapefruit right oh, here. Thank you You're so at the much. Waffle House. Yes, this is... I'm telling you, I've been researching all morning, uh-huh. and by all morning, I mean about like 15 minutes, F- and I got hungry. <laughs> You've been researching for 15 minutes. Well, I got hungry because that's why I can't research for any longer. Were you already in but the Waffle House when you here, got hungry? I I went to the bathroom, all right? Uh-huh. There was like a little logo drawn on the side of the bathroom stall, and right. it looked interesting, so I started researching on my phone, and like I, I'm telling you, these Waffle Houses, they're connected I want to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, they are connected. They're a corporation. But it's much deeper than it's that. It's a. It's a whole. It goes. All right. Like all right, there's I'm, this guy sitting in front of me. He's very suspicious. Why do you say that? He's been here for at least forty-five minutes. But that's a. That's a normal. Why would you willingly nor- stay at a Waffle House for that long? Are you ready to put in your food? You make a good point. Uh, yes, please. Did you have? Um, <laughs> all right, I, all right, Shannon. Uh, oh. We're gonna we're gonna let you go oh, there. Okay. Uh, uh, good good luck over the Waffle House. Uh, I, I will get back you, to you. you. I want you to get to the bottom of this. If if there is a connection between the Waffle Houses and and the we're, Illuminati, we're I, I fully yeah, expect. Oh, yeah, uh, of course, uh, waffles are square, and the Illuminati is all about triangles. I have. All right, so uh, all right, that's it. We're gonna get out of here. We're we're right, we're heading so heading uh, that. What do you know about the Illuminati? Why do you ask? Hello, Shannon. Shannon, are you there? Shannon, well, she's probably all right. It's just a Waffle House. Well, maybe she really is onto something. Love each other. Conspiracies are very angry and usually self-centered, and it's okay to have different thoughts and ideas and worldviews, so love each other for them. Unless that worldview means that you hate another person, because that's not cool, man. Thanks, Dan. Love you, Rob. I I love you, too. Should we leave? <laughs> Do you want us to leave? Should we go? No, we were hoping you would join, join this. I'm forced too much yeah. for me. Four is it Aubrey? The more, the merrier. Strictly a three, gal. Well, we've got to three, Olivia, and I'm afraid we're at our limit. <clears throat> All right, uh, let's go ahead and open up the order of confessors there. Yeah, you, nobody does anything. It's just a <laughs> gong. Uh, we've got a couple of folks that we want to shout out to. We got Putrid Gospel. Oh, Let that's us a know. name. Yeah, how about that? Uh, I need to we, marinate on that one for a second. Putrid Gospel uh, is also concerned about the Henry Zabrowski guitar riff. See our last episode's Order of Confessors. We discussed this, and uh, I think we're still marinating on it. Uh, but Putrid dropped us some stars. Thank you, Putrid. Uh, Morrigan Bone Gardener. I love that. Feels good in black your mouth. Heart, black say heart, that. Black go, ahead, heart. go ahead and say that, Olivia. Morrigan Bone Gardener. Morrigan Bone Mourner? 
Bone Gardener. Bone Gardener. Yeah. References, uh, but you're not going to like this, references the Crowley poem and the Holy Rhyme on Rob, on Team Rob oh, on this here one. Here we go. Here uh, we go. But, but you're going to like this. Morgan says, we're awesome. A plus. Oh. Love it. Oh, it plus love it. Perfect OC trifecta. How do you cultivate bones? Well, I mean, maybe Morgan will add that to our uh, comment section there. Very carefully. <laughs> it's, I think it's Morgan's last name. Anyway, uh, that's enough. That's enough of the order of confessors. I've had enough of it. Let us close it. It's closed. <laughs> Did it blow up after it closed? <laughs> All right, Olivia, bring us on home. I hereby adjourn and declare close this meeting of the secret order of alchemical actors till such a time as we get together and do it again. We had but one voice today for Nesta Helen Webster, and that was Lucy Bond doing a bang-up job of that fascist lady. Uh, Joining us around the circle, we have Aubrey Radford. See you guys. Cool. Dan. Always fun to be here, Rob. Olivia Literal, Master of the Order. Bye, guys. Me, my name is Rob C. Thompson. We are recorded, recording, have recorded, do the recording, at the Cadby Theater at the Chesapeake College on Maryland's beautiful eastern shore. Coming up next time on Occult Confessions, we visit the medieval period, a great period to not be alive, in which the Knights Templar are put on trial for all the horrible things we mentioned in today's episode. Catch you next time, here on Occult Confessions. Yeah, we've lost our rhythm on the end there. It's that pause. <laughs>